Hello and welcome to episode 264 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the singer, guitarist and incredible songwriter Rushton Kelly. We get to sit down and talk all about the songwriter's career to date. We get to focus a lot on his brand new album, The Weakness, which is out now and genuinely is absolutely superb. We get to talk about mental health, what it's like to go through the dark times, but also what it's like to be on the road to recovery. And overall, it's a fantastic interview that will be coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But as always, I always like to use the intro of every episode just to quickly touch base and talk about my last episode. Thank you everyone that listened to Dan Masala from Story of the Year. A great interview, really positive, and I had some great feedback. So thank you to everyone that tuned in and listened. And just before we get to my interview today with Rushton and Kelly, I just want to give a big shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, Richer Sounds. Without those guys, this podcast wouldn't be going. I don't have to put loads of adverts all the way through that aren't relevant. And a massive thanks to those guys. So if you're in the market for buying some new hi-fi or a TV, check out richersounds.com and you will not be let down. But today it's all about Rushton Kelly. And honestly, this interview is so open, so honest, really raw and one of my favourites. So let's get to it. Here's me and Rushton talking all things music. So Rushton, thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. What I like to do, Rushton, for anyone that comes on the podcast and for the audience out there is take it right back to the very start. So talk to me yep. about when you were a kid. Uh, what were those first albums that you remember maybe your parents played or you bought with your pocket money that you absolutely loved as a child? I mean, I think the first record that I devoured was Jimi Hendrix Live at Woodstock. That nice. was like the first one. Uh, but then also like my dad, you know, it, we'd listen to a lot of Jackson Brown, like Jackson Brown's Before Every Man, Sky Blue and Black that Don Watts produced. Um, he introduced me to Cream. I mean, like he introduced like, you know, Cream and, uh, uh, you know, like Spencer Davis group. And... Jimmy Hendrix really clapped in like this is kind of this bedrock of I know it's like rock music, but the way that like especially Jimmy, the way that he interpreted himself and his instrument, creating something, you know, that stood maybe in a genre, but was also just like wildly himself. That's what attracted me the most to that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we it was pretty much, um, you know. We had some uh, J.D. Souther in there, the Eagles, you know, just like good songwriter, Bonnie Raitt, Linda Ronstadt, that kind of stuff was, was in the house when I was growing up, What that my dad listened to until I got about like, third grade, and then I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, and, you know, never mind, because my brother was listening to that, and that kind of changed my life. I was going to say, you've got some massive hard hitters there. You know, some of the names you're pulling out are just huge. And it's not like you could go and see them live. Stuff like Jimi Hendrix had already been and gone. Um, right. Nirvana were one of my first bands, actually. I remember even at um, late primary school, early secondary school, I remember having a pencil case and scratching in Nevermind and all the lyrics and stuff. And I never realized that those songs were quite simple, but so well done. And, at, you know, at a young age, you just love them. But, you know, the fact that Polly was four chords, and I couldn't believe how simple it was, but it sounded right. so much bigger and better than just a simple acoustic guitar playing four chords. Totally, totally. So when was it that it changed for you then? So you couldn't obviously go and see Nirvana or Jimi Hendrix. What was those first gigs you went to that you then experienced live music in front of you? 
Uh, I mean, the first shows that I went to were when I was like a kid. Like we went and saw Jackson Brown. You oh, know, nice. Uh, I think the first show that I ever went to, I was a baby. Was Beach Boys. Oh um, wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the first concerts that I went to on my own accord. You know, like I was probably 14, you know, and I went to go see Dave Matthews Band and Dashboard Confessional and Taking Back Sunday and, you know, um, Fish, and like a, this kind of mixture of pop punk and emo with uh, my jam band music really was my first like concert going experience. I've had Dashboard Confessional on the episode and um, what a lovely guy and what a songwriter and again can incorporate a nice acoustic unplug set that sounds beautiful but then can be in a punky scream along yeah. emo incredible room full of people literally playing an electric with a distortion pedal and it sounds incredible like the dynamics yeah. and the, the range of that songwriting is incredible yeah 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 he's a, he's, he's a great guy we're friends now which is really crazy but He's a he's a fantastic artist, songwriter, and person. So, when was it that you kind of started to pick up a guitar yourself, or start songwriting, or start to think to yourself, mm. "I want to do it"? Because there's one thing going to a gig and enjoying music, and I got to see Green Day when I was a kid, and even these heavier bands. But like, it wasn't until I was like secondary school that I thought, I, "Actually, I want to be in a band myself." You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean. It was to the, I, I, these songs were so important to me, like hearing, you know, uh, the entire Nevermind record and also Dave Matthews with his acoustic playing. Um, I just like, I needed to like, not just listen to these songs. I needed to like make them myself, if that makes sense. You know, I wanted them to become, I wanted to step closer to them rather than it just be something that I was experiencing with my ears, I wanted to like embody them and be them and be able to carry them around with me anywhere I went. And the quickest way to do that was to learn how to actually play, play the songs and, and sing them myself. So it was really just to like satisfy a craving, you know, that I had. Um, and it was a very natural craving. It's been there since I can remember. And I mean, I was at a guitar store one time and it's just completely like, fucking bewildered i was looking at all these guitars and i was like oh my god this is like you know being in superman's fortress of solitude and like all the different <laughs> things to choose from and uh this dude i'll never forget he had like long blonde hair and he knelt down and he had a stratocaster and he's plugged into an amp and he was right behind me just trying to guitar out and he started playing the chords that smells like teen spirit and i was like holy shit i have to do that i have to do that so I'd set my mind pretty early on that I was going to do recreate the feelings that I got from listening to music myself. Was it difficult because the market is so flooded to try and get a name for yourself? Because it's difficult now because we're, you know, 10, 15 years later when everything's streaming, but what kind of, what moment did you realize that you might be able to actually make this like a full-time career? Uh, it wasn't until I probably like my first tour, you know, where it was, um, you know, people were singing every word, you know, to every song. It was in these really small clubs and I'd get there and, you know, I was like, I mean, I, maybe they know like one song or two and they knew ev every word, 
And I was like, oh, okay, that's something cool. But to be honest with you, I never really thought about it in terms of success or failure. I just like always knew that I was going to do it. And the win there was the fact that I was just doing something that was born in me to do it and kind of see down whatever road and whatever winding element of that road was going to occur, like didn't quite matter to me. Like I would do it if I was, you know, busking on the street, which I have, and I would do it if I was working on a horse farm. I'd write the same songs, I'd play the same songs. And I guess it just led me into an area where, you know, you build a career and you, uh, you know, can, can, can live off of the things that you write. Like, I, I just never really thought about it, to be honest with you. I suppose it's that kind of journey, isn't it? That, like you said, more people be coming to your shows, more people are singing along. But being yeah. so heavily in the middle of it yourself, I suppose you weren't completely able to take a step back and be like, oh, look, everybody here right now is watching me and, you know, I yeah. can start like, to see these crowds. <laughs> yeah, these, yeah, these crowds are getting bigger. Right, right. No, I mean, I think that's a, there's a bit of a double-edged sword, you know, to doing it and to be driven to do it because I have to, like, take a step back sometimes and realize like actually you know how far I've come just personally in my life and how much time energy emotions and uh you know um self-realization and power that I've given to the art of creating music and expressing myself for a living and it's um you know I've devoted my life to it I've I've done it since I was you know I got in a van when I was 19 and started touring and I've never looked back and I've never thought about looking back. So I have to remind myself sometimes because like, you know, I get driven and I'm like, okay, well now I want like this next step and I want this next step and I want this next step. And you can kind of like lose um, perspective at times owning a business and also being that business being something that's a uh, reflection of your deepest secrets and the contents of your soul. So, Yeah. I suppose one question I ask this a lot to people, but did you have the full backing of your family? Because some parents are going to be like, look, son, you need to get a real proper job or like, that's great to follow your dreams, but have something to fall back on. But you sound already and I've only just met you, but you were only ever going to do that because you're so determined and that's all you wanted to do. So it didn't matter if you were playing in a street or playing in a, a, an arena, you were always going to do what you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like something was telling me to do it always. And my family was supportive. Um, you know, at first it was like uh, they were maybe concerned about like how I would eat, you know, and like how I would, uh, where I would live. And um, luckily my, my sister moved to Nashville because I was going to go to New York and just kind of see what happens. You know, just I, I do feel like I've you know, I've been able to land on my feet at, during rough times in my life. And I was just going to go there and see what's up. And my sister moved to Nashville and got an apartment and I moved there because it was a free place to stay. You know? um, and I went to college for one semester. I kind of played the game of being a regular human being just to, you know, um, I don't know, just to, to do the thing. And I got in college and I started a jam band and we played one gig and there happened to be the son of the head of paradigm there out of, he was one of five people. And 
the next week I was signed um, to, you know, one of the largest booking agents in the world. And they put us on the road the following month. And I was 19, dropped out of college. My parents weren't too happy about that. But I told them that this is what I'm going to do. You know, hell or high water, this will happen. So uh, I went and got busy doing it. That's insane. Like, you must have been like, and I mean this with full respect, like, fucking hell, this is the best luck I could ever have had to have that person in the crowd that night at the right time, at the right place. Yeah, dude. And it was a shit bar, too. Like, it was in the middle of a cow field. Like, it was, like, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Like, the odds of that happening are super slim. That's awesome. You must have, like, you should have gone home and put the money on the lottery or something and be like, this is my day. Like, this is the day that everything's going to come true for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. And I suppose then, did it just kind of snowball? Was it just a case that you were seeing these gigs getting bigger and more people coming along and more people wanting to hear your music and the download numbers are going up and the record sales are going up? Was it just happening at a rate that you probably couldn't even imagine? No. Um, it was actually a little bit of the opposite, you know? Uh we got signed to this company and then they put us out on the road with, you know, Humphreys McGee and OAR. Like we were playing opening for people in arenas and stuff. And I, uh, you know, I, being an, I, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but like being an artist, you know, at times you write from a very painful place in your life. Like whether there's some crack that happened at some point, uh, maybe in a past life that you're trying to reheal or like maybe in this current situation in your genetics, like who knows, but writing from that perspective, you're definitely susceptible to wanting to numb that, you know, and we were on the road and, uh, you know, it was my turn to drive at a 24 hour shift, uh, to get to the next gig, open it for OAR in some arena. And I was really tired and, you know, one of the dudes we had with us was like, hey, like, if you're really tired, you can take this. He was like, oh, uh, what is it? He's like, it's not drugs. It's just, you know, it's medicine. Um, It will, like, keep you awake. And it was speed. And uh, I took it and I didn't know that, like, taking that pill would alter the next 10 years of my life very drastically. Um where I would be like a full on junkie by, you know, 23 and then have to like reclaim myself after the fact there are many opportunities, all that to say many opportunities that were, I wouldn't say squandered, but where uh, it wasn't the right time for me personally, because I wasn't ready. Like if that had happened to me, if it had just kind of gone like that immediately, um, I probably would have died uh, or not been able to really handle um what it takes to be an artist that cares about his work and his craft, his career and his business and his employees and his touring company, all of that stuff, you know, um, that I care deeply about now. And I'm starting to see that thriving, but there is this shadow period that I guess was necessary to my own journey. Um, and so it wasn't until I really started to climb out of that hole that I started to see like tangible success, uh, in, fans filling up and start selling out places and the rooms getting bigger and growing and all of that stuff like that. So for that kind of period, does it just seem like a bit of a blur now? Cause obviously all those times of the drugs and the rehab and trying to get out of it and get clean and yeah. not let them be part of you. 
does it feel like a different life? Does it feel like you're a different person, if that makes sense? Do you feel like you're just looking back and like, fuck, that didn't, did that happen? Yeah, man, that's a really great question. Um, for a long time, it did. Um, to be honest with you, up until about a year or two ago, it, it felt, I tried to distance myself from who that person was as far as identity goes. But, you know, as I feel like a lot of us dealt with in the pandemic, there was this need for taking personal inventory and a lot of our relationships either um, thrived or they uh, completely fell apart and senses of identity as well. I mean, never knew if like I was going to be able to tour again. And what does that mean if I wasn't a touring artist and all of this? And so it made me get down to basics and made me get down to the roots of who I am as a person on this planet, not just as an artist. And it made me assimilate, you know, the things that maybe I wanted to distance myself from that to own them and, and, and know that they were a huge part of why I feel successful as a person. Business aside, just like I made it out of something where I 99% of people don't. And I, you know, that honestly, like not to be cheesy or corny, but like that leads into like this record that I made, which is called the weakness. It's yeah. this assimilation of being okay with, all the things that have made you weak because the irony is that if you get up each time that you fall and you name those things that make you weak and less than yourself, um, then you actually can become a lot stronger. And it took me uh, a good chunk of my twenties to, to be okay with that. Cause I just wanted to distance myself from, Oh, I'm not that guy anymore. And I'm not, but I was. And so I have to carry that into who I am now. Was there anything that you did majorly as a change mentally or in your life that stopped you going back into the roots of the person you were? I mean, like what, what is it that I want to do? You know, like, what do I really want to do? What kind of person do I really want to be at the end of it all? Like, did I live, you know, with honor? Did I give it everything that I had my career? my relationship with my friends and my family, my relationship with myself. You know, I was raised to be the best version of myself. That has been a very harsh critic in my mind at times, but I do want to be great. I want to be the best version of myself possible. And um, that's how I want to go out. You know, I've, I've always been that way, always worked as hard as I could. And for some reason I had that thorn, you know, that would keep me from being fully realized. And, uh, that's what, that's what did it. That made me, um, it's like, damn, like I could die, you know? And like, if I were to go back to that life, I think that I probably would, you know, you, you see it all the time, but I just, uh, there's just way more, um, that I have to do, you know, before it's my time, in my opinion. It's a funny one because and I don't mean to get too heavy, but I'm not on the level of you, but I've been in a life with drugs. I've gone through a divorce only a couple of years ago and mm. I've um, come out stronger and I was never proud of the person I was and I felt like I was wearing a mask every day. I felt like I had to get up and put a mask on and be this person and now coming out, I hurt people. I had some big mistakes in my life that I made, but because I've been there and made them, even though I was wearing a mask, even though I made the mistakes, I now appreciate everything that I took for granted a lot more and it might just be the smallest little thing, but I'm remarried now. 
I've got a lovely home. I've got a couple of dogs and just going for a walk with my dogs and holding my wife's hand means more to me than a line of cocaine and cheating on my ex-wife or having an affair or just being a complete dick. And I kind of feel like I had to do that to then appreciate everything else. And that's not making an excuse because I was a bad person, but I won't do it again because now I know what makes me a good person. And that's all it is. I mean, that's really, that's so well put at the end of it all, like holding your wife's hand, you know, walking down the street with your pups. I mean, that beats everything. You know what I mean? That just like really wins. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I'm looking, that's what I'm looking for in my life. And I, and I have that in, in certain areas. It's really the simplicity of um, the things that we value most to not take them for granted, like you said. And now we know what the stakes are. That's that's the biggest, most important thing I think you've said so far because the stakes have never been so high. And now, even though it's such a simple life and such an easy life, I want everything to be minimalized. I don't want hundreds of friends that just now and then I speak to and unless I call them, they won't call me. I don't want to be going to be seen at every party. I just want to do what I want to do that makes me happy with the people around me that make me happy and it just be simple. And I've never taken the elements so seriously as I do now. Just sitting by the side of the sea and just watching the ocean is something more peaceful than any spliff or nights of drinking all night. And I'm like, this is here the whole time. This has been here my whole life. But now I'm actually, I think I've just grown up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Everyone has their own timeline as far as emotional growth goes. And he just nailed it. I mean, nothing really beats like, I think Eminem said this actually. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, he's like, yeah, man, like, I know it's corny as fuck, but like, you get sober and like, you see a leaf fall from a tree and you're like, damn, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the truth though. It you know, is. You, you, and you don't have to get sober to do that. Like, but it's really just a, a complete mindset shift is really the most important thing. Do you feel now that you're in a really good place because you've just got obviously the start of April, the weakness coming out. I've listened to a couple of the tracks and I hear a completely different sound and style to shape and destroy. I think it's, it sounds to me, and I mean this with full respect, it's got more of an indie rock anthem kind of vein to it. Um, I, I hear elements of stuff like Manchester Orchestra, even vocal lines of even Frice, which I wouldn't have said three or four years ago about your music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the uh, the challenge of an artist is to keep things interesting for yourself. Like, you know what I mean? You can't, like, I can't, like, make something that I've already made and recreate something that's this or that unless I want to. You know, I feel like that's the beauty and the double-edged sword in that as well is you you know, you start, you build a fan base and then you're like, okay, well next record. And you know that like you have a sound that works quote unquote, but that's like your, your goal oriented career mind speaking of for your artist self. And like, I'd rather, you know, uh, do the thing my way and fail, you know, than to do it a, another way uh, and have, success or like what would be even worse is if you do it the same way that you've been doing it and you know it doesn't work out like i mean 
the point is that I wanted to just create from an honest place always. And kind of like Bruce Springsteen would say, you know, an artist's job is to create a box to put themselves in that's theirs. And then they spend the rest of their career getting out of that box. I also am a huge fan of Justin Vernon. You know, I, I mean, he came to be known as Bon Iver through this like very cool folk record. And then, you know, no one would have thought three records from then. It would have just been like full on electronic music. And now you go to a show and he's like playing arenas and stuff. I, I love that trajectory. I'm into that because he can, he said very early on, you know, as he started making these records, I can kind of do whatever I want. And that's how I want to be, you know, it's to kind of make whatever record I want to. I think it's challenging as well for you because you don't then just rest and play it safe. Like you could do 20 albums that sound just you and acoustic and it's nice and it works, but you want to get a bit more involved. You want your live shows to be a bit more energetic. You want to test yep. yourself and, you know, some of my favorite bands are bands like Thrice, like Radiohead, um, Bon Iver, you know, they don't sound like they did on the third, fourth, fifth album. They just keep evolving. Um, and even Paramore, I've just bought their new album and they don't sound like the old band. They've really stripped down. They sound more like Fleetwood Mac than they used to now. When they started out, they're like fucking Fallout Boy. And it's like... <laughs> It's unbelievable. Like, I absolutely love that. So if you're now experimenting in a bigger live show and those indie anthems and a bit more heavy guitar and stuff, that's going to keep you inspired and interested as well. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, man. If the artist lacks inspiration, <laughs> they're like, what's the fucking point? You know, because it's going to, that's, that, that is the point is to continue. Like, uh, I guess it would be like kind of, you know, the label or anyone else would maybe call it risk taking, but that keeps things interesting, you know, keeping yourself on your toes. That's just fun. Like that's a fun game to play, you know? It's good. And it makes it exciting. And I think people will never know what you're going to do next. And isn't that the best? If you, if everyone's like, Oh, I can't wait for the new album. Yeah. It's going to be exactly like his last one, but another 12 tracks. No one's ever going to know right. what you're going to do next. You went from an album got divorced brought, bringing out a new album you're happy again now you found love you seem like in a much better place so fuck me what's the next album going to be is it going to be poppy you're going to be singing and dancing on stage because you're happy or are you going to be aggressive because you're letting all that kind of i suppose all the weaknesses out of your system right 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 i don't know um i have no idea but like i can start to feel like it spinning a bit like it usually happens once like I get close to releasing a record I kind of have this vibe of I can feel like a new new project happening and um I I don't know man um I, I feel like I can kind of this record is uh it's different and not too different but then in some places it'll be a little polarizing with existing fans but I think the point was to create a new um, a whole new group of fans to come in and have a bigger live show and have a uh, have uh, more of an energy to things that I wanted to pull from from a, a different place than I ever have before. So, I think what I've noticed as well, and I don't know if you even sit and read all your own Instagram comments and stuff, but people are getting really excited that the fact of I've heard names like Elliot Smith circled around i've seen people mention uh, manchester orchestra who we mentioned today but they're 
unbelievable people to be compared to and saying that, you know, they hear this in your voice and they hear the style and my God, it's, it's, it's an amazing place to be in when people are now discovering your work for the first time because of that. And then going back and finding that you've evolved from, you know, 10 years in the industry. Yeah, dude. No, that's like, um, that's the greatest thing. Like I'm super proud of every record that I've made, you know, it did the thing that I wanted it to do artistically and this record's no different. And I just was like, man, like if some people come in to it because they're like, Oh, I'm a fan of, you know, Manchester orchestra. And I heard this song, it sounds kind of like that. It's really exciting. Then they go back and listen to the other stuff. Like, Whoa, this is like very, like, these are his first two records and I love them and they've become special to them in that way. Um, I mean, cause that happened to me as a, you know, music consumer. I just would, you know, I got it. I think I got into Dave Matthews band on their third record and went back and discovered this and this, and this, and I was like, holy shit, like, this is my favorite band now. Um, same with Nirvana, you know, I mean, Bleach, I didn't even know anything about Bleach until I got it to, to Nevermind. So sometimes I feel like records and hopefully this one might be, but, uh, you know, it brings more people in. And then they can go back and discover back catalog, which is hopefully exciting for them. With this new album, and as we sit here, the people won't have heard it. And maybe when this episode comes out, it'll just be out. So people are starting to listen. And I suppose the narrative of the record is it's a variety, isn't it, of weaknesses that you've dealt with and how you've come through them. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I kind of take from it so far. Um, Do you do you wish more people in the world would acknowledge their weaknesses and kind of put their hands up to say, I want to try and change it or I want to try and address it? Because I got very tired of wearing a mask every day and hiding my weaknesses. And it was only when I started telling people that I had them, everyone was turning around to me and saying, fucking hell, like, do you know how long I've waited for you to say that? Because me too. And Christ, like you have no idea how much I want to tell everyone the same because I just try and keep it to myself because I don't want people to see weakness as such failure. When I think weaknesses, I think a weakness can be the biggest, strongest point because you can learn from it. And that's what I did through divorce, through being in hospital, through being on morphine. Like I've come out of it. So it's not a weakness. It's a, it's a lesson. Oh man. Pain is the deepest teacher. That's for sure. Suffering is like definitely a prerequisite to a mature sense of joy. Kind of like we were saying earlier, when you know what stakes really are. Um, I do. Yeah. I wish that, um, well, it's kind of like, I feel maybe my job, uh, is to be, you know, one of the hopefully many people that ardently proclaim that expressing yourself whether it's just like a drawing at home that you put on your fridge to smile at or um, a song that you write, however you do it, um, that art can be a route to know yourself better. And weaknesses are, we live in a very success-driven culture. You know, Western culture is very success-driven as far as, you know, how monetarily are you successful and did your venture go well? Um, and what they mean by that is like, you know, did you become successful from the venture that you did? But I think like all of that's great. And yeah, we, we live in that society and I'm, I'm down with that. Um, I'm driven to, to be successful, but true success, I feel like is 
when you can admit to yourself the things that have kept you from being your most thriving self. And we have a hard time doing that. It's almost taboo. And like you just said, like that conversation I've had with so many people where it's like, I say something like, I'm so glad that someone said it, you know, because I've been doing this and this. So the more people that are willing to see weaknesses as a form of strength and acknowledging it, because when you name something, you can own it. Um, and that's power. Uh, I feel like the more likely like that we can, you know, create a culture of vulnerability doesn't mean that you become the things that you're weak about. It means that you're more readily available to find strength through coming out of them and through them. That's beautiful, man. Like that's speaking my fucking brain for the last 10 years. I didn't realize today's interview would be a counseling session. (laughs) Same dude. (laughs) <laughs> but it's good. It's good. It's healthy. And this is what I like. I can yeah. talk. I can talk. You know, I had Brandon Boyd on here and we talked about Incubus and how great they are. But we actually ended up talking about yoga and actually being a free spirit and being able to let go of the stress mm. and the 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 pain in life. And it was like, do you know what? This is more of an investment in the chat than you telling me why you wrote the song Morning yeah, View. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we can sit here all day know why you're a great singer and why you write songs. But I want to know what you're doing when you're not writing those songs, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So I take it at the moment, and I've I've looked. Um, you've got some dates in June, but are you looking at trying to eventually cross the pond and come over here and play some shows? Or yeah. I know the world's gone a bit crazy, and the cost of everything is making it so hard for artists. But is that something we can hopefully expect? Oh yeah, definitely. That, I mean, uh, we're you know right now like we've announced. The first, this is the first leg of the tour and then doing some support dates at Noah. Um, it is definitely in the sights. Uh, I think it's just a matter of logistics at the moment, but it's, it's less about is this going to happen and it's more a question of when's the best time to do it. So yeah, you can't expect me to be popping over the pond soon. I will come and buy you a Coke with, uh, and we'll sit down and put the world to rights. How's it feel on the verge of an album coming out that you've probably sat on for quite a while? You've listened to the songs to death. You want to get out there and start incorporating them into your set list so people don't just expect the same songs each night. You does it feel yeah. nervous? Do you feel kind of this big anticipation of I hope the people dig it and they're you know those songs eventually become the crowd favorites? Yeah, I mean for sure. There's definitely a uh, you know. An element of like why I hope they like it, you know. Um, but you can't live live and die by that. And uh, I, it's really just because I've spent so much time on this record, so much time and energy, more than any other record. There's been more people involved with it, kind of for the first time. Um, uh, and I'm just I'm just ready for it to be out and to go out and get on stage. Like I said before, everything that I do is in business wise is in service of getting on stage so that i can't i mean i'm about to hit the road in two weeks so two or yeah i mean three weeks three weeks yeah that's awesome and uh i think everyone kind of got locked away for two years and there was this fear for me that i don't know most jobs you could do from home if you worked in an office you bring your laptop home if you're Mm -hmm. a doctor you can do stuff on zoom but Bands couldn't get out and play. Gigs couldn't happen. Festivals couldn't happen. And it feels like the best time right now because 
well, my calendar is probably 10, 20 shows a month right now that I'm trying to go to and look at. And it feels like all those bands that have been locked away for two years have come back stronger, more of a passion behind them. They're not taking it for granted anymore. And I've seen this, you know, bands that I could hardly ever see, like Tool and Foo Fighters, they're now touring every year. It's not like every 10 years or five years, you've got to wait to see, you know, these great bands like Smashing Pumpkins. They're playing all year round. And it's, it feels like a really good, and I know we've come through some shit times, but it feels like a great time for bands because you're playing more than ever and the shows are bigger than ever. And the, I just don't know. It just feels like a really great time. I could not agree with you more, man. It's, it's time. It's time for us to, to have that ability to enjoy live music again, for sure. What I do on this podcast, and it's my last question for you today, buddy, is I ask the guest that comes on the show to pick the final song that's played, and it can be any song by any band, by any artist in the whole world. But everyone has done it, and there's 250 episodes now, and there's Anthony Hopkins, Kevin Smith, Mads Mixon, all these different people. But everyone has chosen a different song that means something to them. Uh, and I know as a musician and a songwriter, you'll struggle because there's probably hundreds of songs. But when I asked nah. you the question, when I asked the question, what's the one that came before any other? Everything in its right place, Radiohead. I fucking love that song. So when I met my wife, who I'm with now, Kid A was one of the albums that we, it sounds weird, but if we were cooking for each other, when you first start seeing each other and you go to each other's houses, we'd always put that album on all the way. And yeah, yeah. just those opening notes on that kind of keyboard. Every time I hear that, it reminds me of the early days when we first met and how special it was. And one of my yeah. favorite films is Vanilla Sky by Cameron Crowe. And again, when Tom Cruise wakes up, you hear those notes. And I was lucky enough a couple of months ago to go and see The Smile, you know, Tom York's new band. And nobody realized just how much talent that guy has that that's his side project not even radiohead but what a fucking album kid a is i know it's it's my favorite was what's the reason that song came before any other i don't know i, I love its title i love its intent and it's just kind of every time i put it on i i truly do feel like it's a reminder to be in the moment whether that was their intention or not like it just it just reminds me like especially with the the chords that they're playing and the tone of uh i think it's a, he's playing a jupiter it's um you know it just like puts me right where i need to be everything in the right place rushton it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today i genuinely feel like i could do a 10-part special with you and talk about every aspect <laughs> of life um dude i appreciate it so much man super, just we just super clicked yeah uh when i release this i'll be tagging you in on all the social media channels and stuff but please if somehow you keep in touch because i'd love when you're here to have a drink with you and um yeah I, I i see some of your interviews and i do a bit of research and i don't know if i'm wrong but the last thing i wanted to do was talk about a divorce and casey and i just wanted to talk to you about you yeah. and uh that's that's what matters to me means a lot to me well i'll be seeing you sooner than later let's have that coke and uh i'll be seeing you soon man. so there it is there's my interview with me and the amazing rushton kelly and as i said at the start of today's interview we talk a lot about the brand new album the weakness that album is out now go and stream it go and buy it do whatever you need to do and then hook me up on any of the social media channels and let me know what you think 
I love reading the comments if you discover an album because of this podcast or if you're already a fan of Rushton and you've listened now and you've now gone and checked out his album because you didn't even know it was out then I've done my work well and I absolutely love reading every comment I get and I always make sure I reply so please do and all the links are on markandme.com and if you've enjoyed today's episode as always please hit that share button it's literally simple on Twitter just hitting that retweet button hitting share on Facebook or liking it on Instagram or even put it as your story it will bring a whole new audience to mark and me and cost you guys nothing but if you're feeling a bit adventurous and you want to spend a bit of money then i do have a patreon account all the money that comes in on patreon goes right back into the podcasts allow me to host the podcast on spotify amazon music apple podcasts buy equipment and travel to do loads of interviews for you guys at home so if you can afford just a couple of pounds a month you get an exclusive sticker you get a brand new badge which is exclusive just for people on patreon and you get access to the lost tapes which are podcasts that are only for people that subscribe to my patreon and the good news is next week you'll be getting a brand new episode to say thanks for supporting me i'll be back in only a few days time with yet another brand new episode so until then look after yourself Listen to Rushton Kelly, take care, and I'll see you all very soon. Yeah.